Welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your host, Lauren McClain. How's it going, everybody? Lauren McClain here with Cleon Wall, and we are doing what we do best, talking all things BYU Cougars. Here's what we have coming up on the show today. This will be the first meeting ever between Arkansas and BYU, so what are some other teams the Cougars have never faced that we'd love to see them match up against? Plus, we'll speak to Marty Burlesworth, chairman and CEO of the Burlesworth Foundation, which is dedicated to the memory of his late brother, Brandon, who is regarded as one of the greatest walk-ons of all time and an Arkansas Razorback. In honor of him, we'll discuss who we think are some of the best walk-ons in BYU history. But first, the Cougs were not victorious in Vegas, darn it. But were there some high points amidst the glaring lows? You ready to do this, Cleon? I will follow you anywhere. I am ready, Uh... maybe unlike... BYU was ready to play Notre Dame oh, in that game. Oh, yeah, dang it. it. Uh, yes, they were not ready to play. I have to say, it was a really exciting game. I got to go. It was my very first time in Allegiant Stadium. That place, that $2 billion place, is one of the most incredible stadiums I've ever been in my life. It was amazing. So, luckily for me, that first half, I was still somewhat in awe <laughs> of what I was seeing. And uh, I feel like Notre Dame, I know it was a home game for them. They did a good job in their production. Um, would have liked to see a few more BYU fans on the screen. They literally, Cleon, did not show one BYU fan on the screen the entire game. But did you expect them to? No, I wouldn't expect I don't them know. to. I guess I mean, if not. they were at Notre Dame Stadium, they wouldn't. But they wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, it's true. It just was crazy with how many BYU fans were were present, you know, and then being in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, and it just was, it was crazy. But it was it was really fun, really cool atmosphere to be there. The game. Uh, One of the worst offensive halves of football I've seen in a very long time and maybe ever. 63 total yards, 11 passing yards. There was a great 42-yard punt return that set up BYU for their touchdown. And I love that play call, by the way, on that touchdown. Um, But then, sure enough, Cleon, BYU misses the extra point. It was just, (laughs) it was a really neat The one penalty BYU had all day, and it was... It was delay of game, and you're like, eh, no big deal. He's yes, still going to make like, it. You're yeah. just moving five yards back. No, no, I never, I didn't think he was going to make it. All, oh, you did. All it the was, BYU fans around us, we were all like, oh man, what's going to happen? Oh, really? I'm like, no one eh, was even fu- surprised when they oh, missed. Oh, that's so interesting. I thought, eh, five yards. It's no. not a big deal. I mean, if it was like a going from like a forty-five to or a forty-five yeah. to a fifty-yard field yes. goal or something like that, then you're like, eh, I mean, it's an extra point. He should have made that, whether it was. At the two-yard line or at the seven-yard line, he should have made it. Cleon, under normal circumstances, I would completely agree with you. But how BYU's kicking game has gone the last four games, yeah, nothing's a given. And actually, the Notre Dame fan that was next to me leaned over and said, oh, I heard about your kickers. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's bad. I loved the second-half surge by the Cougars, and they, they actually made it a game. They made it so exciting to be there. It was fun being surrounded by Notre Dame fans and BYU fans. Everyone was respectful, at least around me. So that I loved that BYU made it a game. The offense finally showed up, and BYU was looking like they were maybe going to pull it off. I thought they really were, but then they came up short because of missed opportunities with play calls, drop passes, lost 20-28 to against the Fighting Irish. All right, so here's a few things and a few of my takeaways and things that I liked. I loved the fight of the defense the entire game. I wish BYU could have found a way to stop the tight end Michael Mayer and get to the quarterback a little quicker. I feel like the quarterback had, man, like 20 seconds <laughs> to throw yeah, the ball. He had forever. But it comes down to BYU's scheme and and a really, honestly, if we're being honest with ourselves, a really good Notre Dame offensive line. Um, shockingly, BYU had the ball for just 19 minutes. Notre Dame possessed it for 41 minutes. 
and the Cougars still barely lost. Isn't that mind-blowing? 19 minutes versus 41 minutes. But that, that, a lot of that was the game, though. I mean, that's yeah. that's the reason why BYU lost. They just didn't have enough opportunities, and the opportunities they had, you know, at least early in the game, they squandered. Yep, and there's so much that could be said that all of us fans have already broken down, and you absolutely know for a fact that the coaches have watched the film over 100 times and are kicking themselves for a few things. But it is what it is, and I thought there were some bright spots. Cody Epps, two touchdowns. Uh, for the first time in his career, first 100-yard game, uh, game career-long 53-yard catch, four catches for 100 yards. Cody Epps had a good game. Max Tooley, third interception of the season, and then Chris Brooks scored a team-leading fifth rushing touchdown, 14 carries for 90 yards. So I thought those three were some of the bright spots, but overall, man, a lot of improvement needs to happen with BYU. Here are my two takeaways from the game, and they're kind of like big-picture takeaways. Uh, what will it take for BYU to start better? I mean, just take the last three games. Notre Dame, interception on the first play, but great to see them hold You know, Notre Dame to a field goal. So still a slow start in that game. USU gave up a TD on the Aggies' first drive, which made the defense look silly. Offense scored a TD on two long passes, but then had three straight three and outs. Wyoming, offense, three and out, and then gave up the field goal. I want to know why this team struggles so much to start games. I mean, we see it in the second half. These guys go in, adjustments are made, and they come out, and they're on fire. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say something about giving a touchdown to Notre Dame at the start mm-hmm. of the second half, but in reality, the offense came out, they did their thing, Defense came out on their second drive. They did their thing. Offense came out again. They did their thing. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, hey. Yeah. They're, they're putting things together. Uh-huh. They're, they're actually looking like a good team out there. But there's something about the first half right now where it's like, uh, well, let's try this. Well, maybe we ought to try this. They just don't seem to find their rhythm in the first half. And does it come down to the game plan that the coaches put together? Is it the wrong game plan, game in and game out? I don't know. The coaches will, you know, you heard Kalani. Uh, after the game. He takes the blame, and that's usually what good coaches do. They take the blame, but we've heard him take the blame a lot, and it's just like it feels like it's a trend to me right now. And that kind of goes to the defense, too. I I agree with what you said. The defense, I know they gave up you know, some points in that game against Notre Dame, and yeah, Notre Dame had the ball a long time, but the defense had some fight to it. But this defense feels so familiar right now. Here's what I mean. They get takeaways, they come up with big stops, but they also stay on the field way too long during games. They're mm-hmm. getting worn out in these games. Sometimes it's their own fault. Sometimes it's the offense's fault. Sometimes it's because the best guys are getting hurt. Sometimes it's poor tackling. We saw that right. uh, We saw that yep. in the past game. There was some poor tackling. It feels a lot like last season and kind of the season before. When, when Kalani arrived at, from Utah, I think the hope was that he would bring what we saw at Utah, which is a dominant defensive line and some good linebackers, and we just – haven't seen that yet and I know in college football your team is going to get scored on that's just what happens in college football this is this is not the NFL even though the NFL is trending to uh, scoring a lot more points now too but I was hoping I would see a better D and I just don't feel like we found it yet yeah I I agree with you and I don't know the solution I'm not going to speculate either but uh, it would be nice to see some sort of change maybe see Kalani take over a little bit more and bring a little bit of that Kyle Whittingham Utah defense to BYU. And that's not saying that the offense doesn't need work. I know they need work, too. Those were just my two main takeaways. I agree with you. I like the fight in the defense, but it feels like you're like, I want a little more than fight. I love the takeaways, but I'd like to see the the defense get off the field sooner than what they are right now. They don't have to be like this three-and-out machine. 
but they've got to be able to get off the field a little bit sooner than they are. They they gave up way too many on third and long or either third and short. They gave up way too many first downs in, in that game, and we saw it in some previous games before that. Third down and roll around, the team had just roll something out and they'd pick up first down. Yeah. And it's just it's just deflating for a team, both offense and defense. And you saw it at the very end of the game. They were just they ran out of gas. Kalani said that as well. The defense just ran out of gas. And that's what happens when you're on the field for forty one yeah. minutes of the game. It's just incredible. Like you said, only two penalties the entire game. I think I read somewhere that there's never been a game like that since the 70s for BYU, where there's only been two penalties in the entire game. And again, BYU dropped out of the top 25, um, which is unfortunate. But I feel like, in my opinion, Cleon, if they win out for the rest of the season and they do it in a convincing fashion, I think they're going to be in that top 25. What do you think? I think if they beat Arkansas next week, depending on what happens above them, of course. But I think if they beat Arkansas next week, they could pop back into the top 25 again. Uh, and I agree with you. I think they need to, to stay in the top 25 the rest of the season. They they have to win out. But I think you could see them back in the top 25 pretty soon. Whether it's next week, if they if they beat Arkansas, they could be back in next week because they're right there at the others receiving votes right now. They could pop back into the top 25 either this week or next week as long as they win the next couple of games. And I just, I, I just in my heart, feel like it needs to be in convincing fashion. I feel like they need to do it. You know, it needs to be two scores plus in order for them to get back in. So we'll see what happens. BYU comes back to Provo for homecoming against the Arkansas Razorbacks, and they are facing off for the first time ever. This is first of a two-game series, and uh, BYU football has only played against SEC opponents 10 times in its history. The record is four wins, six losses, three and three in the Independence era. Cleon, do you wish BYU had more opportunities to play against SEC opponents on a frequent basis? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it. I mean, 2025 would be the soonest. They're going to play Utah and SUU in the non-conference schedule that year. They could schedule an SEC team. You're going to play Utah that year, so you may not want to do it. Right. But that'd be the soonest they could actually schedule an SEC opponent is in 2025. But those SEC teams also have also have to have also have to have openings too. Um, they are scheduled to play Ole Miss in 2028 and 2029, a few years down the road, but they are on the schedule and who knows what's going to happen with contracts and scheduling and mm-hmm. now that BYU is going to be in the Big 12. But they're, they're, they're supposed to play. I'd love to see BYU play Alabama again. I mean, they've only played them once back in 1998 and it was actually a close game. Um, I'd love to see if they could play uh, teams like Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, yeah. Auburn. I-, I would even say I'd love to see them play like Texas or Oklahoma. I mean, it'd be nice if they got in the Big 12, had a good relationship with those two teams saying, hey, we know why you moved. We'd love to schedule you, you know, once you're out of the conference. I Maybe something happens there. The only other thing I could see is that maybe the Big 12 can come to an agreement with the SEC. Since great. everyone hates the SEC right now for yeah. various reasons for trying <laughs> to become the behemoth mega football conference, maybe they can come up with a, a scheduling agreement and say, hey, yeah, why don't we do like, you know how they had the uh, um, the ACC Big 10 matchup uh-huh. in basketball. Uh-huh. If they could come up with something like that, maybe with the SEC, then we'd see BYU play some more SEC teams. I, I think that'd be cool too. Which is a scary prospect, but I would actually love to see it. Let's talk about some of the teams BYU has never faced in its history that we want a chance at. One of them for me is Clemson. So Clemson, Auburn, and Florida okay. are the three for me. I want BYU to get a chance against all the big dogs and powerhouses to see how they match up. Kind of like you mentioned, I would love a contract with the SEC. I feel like BYU is almost there, Cleon, but they're not quite there as one of the powerhouses. I mean, I 
I, I think nationally they're not considered. I think they're respected, but obviously they're not considered an Alabama or a Clemson or a Georgia. But I feel like there are moments when I'm like, man, BYU can hang. They can be there. And then there are moments like we saw against Notre Dame last week, and you're like— Or against Oregon. Where or against like, Oregon, yes. Where, where then Oregon got killed by Georgia, and then you're like, woo, we're like the third tier, right? Exactly. Um, and so it's 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 hard to watch. But uh, most likely the only way BYU will face some of these teams will be in, in college football playoffs or in a New Year's Six Bowl. And I truly think it can be in BYU's future if they put in the right pieces— they just need to get their ducks in a row. So I would love to see BYU get a chance at one of these powerhouse teams, especially Clemson, since they're the most consistently good under Davo Sweeney. Uh, what do you think outside the SEC? So outside the SEC for me, I agree with you, uh, Clemson. I have I have a lot of respect for that program because they won a national title in 1981, and they were always that team that you thought, well, they won in 81, they're 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 going to win again sometime. Yeah, and they just never did. And then total 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 respect for Davo Sweeney. Uh, he's made that into an elite program, and so I'd love to play Clemson. Uh, any of the Carolina schools, uh, Duke, UNC, NC State, uh, probably UNC out of the three, but I, I'd like to play any of those, maybe because I'm also thinking of basketball. Yeah. And I'd say, hey, why like, don't those, we do- those are more basketball schools. Right why there? don't we schedule a football game, and wh- while we're at it, let, let's schedule a basketball series, too. I think now that BYU's going into the Big 12, they may be – uh, more agreeable to something uh, like that. In the Big Ten, I want them to play Minnesota. BYU's played a lot of the top teams in the Big Ten at least once in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Ohio State in a bowl game, a couple bowl games actually. Uh, Michigan in, in the 1984 Holiday Bowl, and also a few years ago, whew, that was Ooh, bad. let's not remember that Let, game. Let's not remember that game. But they played <laughs> some of the bigger teams in the Big Ten, and then USC and UCLA are coming in. They played them. So I want them to play Minnesota. They were supposed to play the Golden Gophers back in 2020, and we all know what happened to that season. Everything got blown up and they just had to try and cobble a schedule together. So I, I'd like to play them. Uh, they usually have a good, solid program. I'd like to play Northwestern, maybe more for the locale than anything else. I'd love to see BYU play in Chicago. Northwestern's right, it's kind of like in a Chicago suburb. Mm-hmm. Maybe they play there or maybe they play at Soldier Field or wherever the Bears are going to be playing since they're talking about uh, getting a new stadium. So maybe there. And hey, why not Illinois? And I'll throw in again, hey, why not Illinois? And maybe we can schedule something with basketball mm-hmm. with them. I'll Outside the big conferences, I'd say, give me Appalachian State. That'd be a fun <laughs> team to play. I mean, th- they, they've got a great history about uh-huh. coming from, kind of like when BYU's going to play Liberty soon. Uh, they they have a history from going from FCS to FBS. I think it'd be fun to play another team like that. I think it's it's good to play teams like that to see where you are, and they'd love to play a team like BYU. Uh, that one could be fun. That'd say Army. They were supposed to play Army, and that game got canceled uh, due to some COVID problems, and so it'd be fun to play Army since BYU's already played Navy, and they played Air Force many, many, many times. It'd be yep. good to, uh, to to play Let's Army. switch it up a little bit. Let's go with yeah. Army. I like that. All right, coming up, Brandon Burlesworth was considered one of the greatest walk-ons of all time, hailing from the University of Arkansas. His brother, Marty Burlesworth, joins us to talk about the foundation he created to keep Brandon's memory alive after his untimely passing. Don't go anywhere. This is Cougar Tailgate. Welcome back to Cougar Tailgate. I'm Lauren McLean alongside Cleon Wall. The Burlesworth Trophy is an award that goes to the most outstanding college football player who began his career as a walk-on. 
and former Cougar wide receiver Dax Milne was a finalist for it not too long ago. But the inspiration for the trophy came from former Arkansas offensive lineman Brandon Burlesworth, who walked on to the Razorbacks football team in 1994 and eventually became a third-round draft pick for the Indianapolis Colts in 1998. He was named a starter before he tragically died in a car crash on his way to attend church with his mother. And joining us right now is Burlesworth Foundation Chairman and CEO and Brandon's brother, Marty Burlesworth. Thank you so much for coming on with us, Marty. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I know I know it's been about 24 years, but man, it's it's just still so horrible and tragic to think about. So I'm so sorry for your loss. Your brother Brandon's story is so inspiring and he's widely regarded as the greatest walk-on in college football history. What was it about Brandon that made it possible for him to achieve everything he did in his short life? Well, I mean, first and foremost is going to be his faith, his very, very strong faith, because, I mean, uh, he had a tough journey, as any walk-on can attest to. It is not easy. Uh, you're doubted, uh, to say the least. And uh, and then just the work ethic, a, work, a strong work ethic. And, uh, and you know, it just empowered him when people would, uh, would say, you know, you're not good enough. Oh, that's just, that's all he needed. You know, I'll, I'll show you. But, uh, you know, his faith was played a big, big role in that. It's good that he had faith, but you would think that if he's going to make it all the way into the NFL, he's got to be athletic. You're his oh, older yeah. brother. Did you see that athletic potential in him when he was a younger kid? No, oh, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. No, there was <laughs> not, uh, that was not a great athlete early on. He was not at all, uh, uh, as you know, nine or ten years old in baseball, wasn't very good. Didn't really start playing football till seventh grade. That's all we had in our area here in Arkansas at that time, uh, and, and where we live in Harrison. And then I coached him in junior high baseball, and that, and then he started getting better. I had nothing to do with me, although we did put a lot of hours in. But uh, you you sure didn't see an All American football player. You didn't see any kind of future as far as an athlete goes. He had certain abilities, certain gifts, but all of those he had to work extremely, extremely hard on to, uh, you know, to to achieve all he was able to do. Wow, that's incredible! So I can't imagine what it was like for you to watch him go to Arkansas as a walk-on and then grow into an NFL draftee. What was that like for you, Marty? I could, I mean, I, I assume he could see it. Or I would mention that as he. As he uh, you know became a starter at Arkansas, he was starter his sophomore year after a, a red a, a true freshman year, a red shirt year, and then became a starter was a three year starter, and became all conference in this Southeastern Conference named all conference, and then a first team All American his uh, senior year. By his junior year, I started mentioning to him about NFL, maybe NFL. He really didn't want to discuss that very much because he was. It was always one step at a time. Later on, that was, you know, on, on his, uh, he, he would talk about it. But uh, anytime I tried to talk about it much, he would just tell me who they were playing next. It was always one game seasons. And that's how he was able to, uh, he didn't he didn't look very far down the road, you know, but it was always down there. And, and he had goals that he would be reaching for, but everything he did, short term, Put that behind you. Next step, and that's how he was able to achieve all he was able to do. 
you started the Brandon Burlesworth organization or foundation. What was the impetus behind that? His accident was in April of 1999. We were incorporated in June of 1999. So we formed the foundation right away. Just, I guess the best answer I can give you is uh, one thing selfishly, as I, I generally say, I did not want him forgotten. Uh, I wanted him to be remembered, but also he and I had talked about he wanted to do with kids and things like that, football camps and bringing kids to starting out, you know, NFL games. And we never do it at the college level uh, also, but he wanted to work with kids. So that's, that's what we, what we did. We, we started his foundation and within a year we were having football camps, having a, a Kids, uh, underprivileged children attend Razorback games and Indianapolis Colts games, and uh, that is is still going today. But it's a lot of what we do are things that he and I had talked about uh, going into his NFL career. I'm sure that makes him just so extremely happy being able to watch you do that in his memory. Of all the wonderful things that you've been able to do in his name with this organization, what would you say makes you the most proud? Well, we have a program that, uh, I mean, they're all good because everything that we do, every program, whether it's football camp or whether it's the children that attend the Colts games or Arkansas games, uh, they're going to know about Brandon. They're going to know, and a lot of these kids that are, are uh, especially that attend the games, you know, they've not, they don't come generally from the greatest home life. And maybe they've been told, you you know, you can't, like Brandon had been told, you know, you're not good enough. And so we, we want to give them hope, uh, inspiration, show them a, a uh, role model that did uh, overcome all those obstacles. But one program we have, you know, Brandon was recognized for his glasses that he wore on the football field. And so we have an eye care program for uh, children around the state of Arkansas and in neighboring states that uh, do not have vision insurance. Maybe parents are working two jobs or a single parent home, doing all they can to make ends meet. This child's falling behind in school. And uh, to to a young child, all they know is I'm not making good grades and I'm probably not, I'm not as smart as my classmates. So it's a self-esteem issue. It leads into other things and all it takes is vision correction and 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 some glasses like just like brandon to uh to help them succeed uh and realize they are they are just as good as anybody else and so that's that's one thing that we're extremely proud of and that we're wanting to expand that you know into all 50 states we want that to be nationwide because we think it's that important I think it's really cool that you have the Burlesworth Award, you know, that's rewarded to the player who started off as a walk-on in a college football program. Where do you find the nominees, and how do you determine who gets the award in the end? Yeah, that's that's another another good question. Each school, each Division One school, every year, and this uh, nominations are they're opening just uh, later this month, really in a few days. Uh, each school uh, can nominate one player from their team that is, is either a walk-on, most or not at this point. They were a former walk-on because just Dax Mill, for example, uh, BYU player, a former walk-on, you know, proved, proved himself. And uh, each school's able to, has the ability to nominate one player. We get them, you know, from all over the country. And we have a selection committee, a very distinguished selection committee that, uh, that has, places their votes 
and that's how we we uh, come up out with our winner. I do not have a boat. I do not have any influence. And if I did, I would not use it because we, we've not had an Arkansas winner until last year for the first time. And we've had Arkansas nominees, of course, every year, but it's about, you know, performance on the field. And, uh, but we've got a great committee that uh, uh, picks our finalist and then also selects the ultimate winner. And these are all stories just like Brandon, you know, same stories. I, I love hearing about the, struggles and what they overcame and the way they proved themselves, you know, to be worthy and also to be a major contributor to, to their team. You mentioned that last year's Razorbacks linebacker, uh, Grant Morgan won the award. Did it feel good to have another Arkansas player receive that award? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, Grant was a finalist the year before. So, and he didn't win, you know, and do you think we heard about that here in Arkansas? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did hear about it, but it, like, like I say, we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to influence uh, at all. And uh, the votes are the way they are. And that's why our selection committee is not based out of Arkansas. Now, we do have some with Arkansas ties. We have some that live in Arkansas, but they, they're all over the country. And, uh, but, oh, it was, it was fantastic to, uh, to uh, have Grant be the winner. And I mean, that was in the 12th year of the award before uh, a uh, winner came, you know, we had a Razorback. So, and uh, what a great guy. I mean, very deserving and, and, and has just everything that, that you would want as all our players and finalists do, you know, that all these guys are so humble because, you know, they've had to work for everything they got. They had to prove themselves. They, you know, they did it for free. Had to had to work their way up. So you get a great humbleness and a, and a you know, along with that great work ethic we see in every player. You mentioned at the beginning that you you just like the idea of keeping Brandon's memory alive. When you watch the hard work that these walk-ons are putting in, and you get to learn about each one of their stories, like you mentioned, do you do you feel a little piece of him with you? Oh yeah. You know, big time because it's uh, it's basically the the uh, same thing. I mean, I I lived it. I mean, I wasn't in the weight room with him, but he, he and I would Brandon and I would talk on the phone every night, and especially during season, and go over what practice was that day, and you know, was, whether that was needed or not. No, not really. But with Brandon, you know, that's that whatever whatever habits he got into, he he. Uh, kept those up and uh, but we would uh, you know I'd learned about who who he was would be facing that week or early on whether or not he was getting any reps with the third team or the second team and but uh, one thing that stands out to me after all those phone calls and I, I really didn't think about this until years later in the struggles and the you know the trials and how tough it was I never once heard him complain or say you know this is too hard I don't think I can do this never any complaints. It was just, you know, this is what I got to do tomorrow. This is, this is what we did today. And, uh, you know, just one step at a time, but I love, love hearing the stories every year because they're, they're all so very similar to Brandon's. I'm here with Burlesworth foundation chairman and CEO, Marty Burlesworth. Marty, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us a little bit of uh, Brandon's story. And we're so grateful for everything that you've carried on in his memory and the incredible lives that you've touched uh, through doing this foundation. So thank you so much again for coming on with us. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. 
Cleon, BYU has a rich history of talented walk-ons who went very far in their careers. So let's talk about some of our favorite BYU football players who started their careers as walk-ons. Let's start with Tyler Algier. Hall settles, looks left, forced left, throws, intercepted while going down. He throws and it may be a to-the-house pick six the other way. Being chased is Merlin Robertson, forced out. Ball fumbled and the Cougars recover. The Cougs get the ball back. Tyler Algier. At their own 15-yard line, Tyler Algier trailing the play. Can you believe that? One of the greatest plays I have ever seen. Uh, uh, we're talking about his career and how he ended his career. But, I mean, that's like the def- to me, that's the defining play of his career, and it wasn't a rushing touchdown or anything like that or a, a huge run. It was actually going and playing Stripping the ball. defense and getting the ball back for he BYU. Punch, he jumps on the guy's back, punches the ball out of his hands, and uh, Jaron Hall, ironically enough, recovers the fumble. Uh, Tyler Algier, man, he just a special player, preferred walk-on, worked night shifts at Walmart and Provo to help take financial burden off his mom. He switched to linebacker after his redshirt year, and then he was awarded a scholarship after his first year on the team. Then he switched to running back again, and then he was a fifth-round draft pick. Just, I mean, if you've watched him, you just see how incredible he is. He's doing great things with the Atlanta Falcons, and uh, love Tyler Algier. Miss him this year, if we're being honest. All right, another one for me is Dax Milne. Zach and Shotgun. Pulls it away from Algier. Settles in a clean pocket. Now hit as he throws. Deep down the near side to Dax Mill. Makes the catch. He's going to go. 40, 30, 20, 10. And just like that, BYU on top. Dax Milne was a really special receiver, special player. He turned down a scholarship from Weber State to walk on at BYU. And his first career touchdown catch was in the 2018 famous Idaho Potato Bowl from Zach Wilson. He was the seventh-round draft pick uh last year and a final finalist for the Burlsworth Trophy, yeah. Cleon. Yeah. Um, all right, another one, and lest we forget, Dennis Pitta. This time a four-man rush, and there's Pitta. Pitta bounced into the end zone. BYU back on top. Started as a walk-on, ended his career as a Super Bowl champion. He walked on as a wide receiver, switched to tight end, then he was given a scholarship after returning from his mission. He ended his career as an All-American and then a Super Bowl champion for the Baltimore Ravens, and he was recently inducted into the BYU Athletics Hall of Fame. Love Dennis Pitt, a hilarious guy. Honestly, I wish he'd come back and do some broadcasting for BYU maybe one day. You know, we talk about BYU being a quarterback factory, and I know this is talked about too, but, man, they've put out some really good tight ends, and Dennis Pitta was one of the best. I, I, I always go back a little farther, and I'll, I'll mention one here in a second who also was a walk-on, but BYU has had some amazing tight ends, and Dennis Pitta, it, he was just he was a special guy. He was. He was great having on the team. Uh, a couple of mine that I want to talk about, Ziggy Ansa. On third down, and eight, Washington flushed, and he's trapped. Guess who? Ziggy Ansa. Thanks to the ACC Network for that highlight. He tried out for the basketball team. He joined the church, by the way, in Africa. He tries out for the basketball team twice, doesn't make it, tries out for the track team. The track coach says, yeah, you really don't fit here. Let me take you over to the football office. He goes over to the football office. We've heard these stories before. He doesn't know how to put on his equipment because, of course, he's never played football before. He doesn't have a scholarship until his senior year, and then his senior year he just breaks out, and the NFL just looks at him and says, oh, we can do something with this guy. He goes the number fifth overall NFL draft pick to the Detroit Lions. Um, yeah, what what a, what a great story that is. If, if there's ever a great story about a walk-on, a guy from Africa who comes in, 
learns how to play football, and ends up as the fifth pick of the NFL draft. So Ziggy Ansah. Uh, the guy I was mentioning, tight end, Chad Lewis, uh, walk on. This guy lives and breathes BYU. He grew up in Orem, loves BYU. He's now the associate AD, always positive. He and Atula Mealy had great careers at BYU. They played off of each other. Both tight ends, both had great careers at BYU. And then he went on to play in the NFL, went to the Super Bowl. Just a great guy. Love Chad Lewis. He can pump you up anytime you need it. Yeah, You just listen to the guy talk for five seconds, and you're like, I'm going to run through a brick wall. I can do it. He's such a good guy. Uh, Other notable walk-ons, Baylor Romney. Uh, backup quarterback for BYU, and he was he was very valuable to have on this team to just basically come in and take over whenever they needed him. And he was a calm presence, and he really just did his job. Mitch Jurgens, who is on our broadcast for radio for BYU football, uh, Ben Criddle, Andrew Rich, all those guys. Fun fun to see the walk-ons who come on and they have great success. My one of my favorites is Nate Mickle. Uh, he was a slot receiver. Uh, he was a running back, I believe, at Snow College before mm-hmm. he came Snow. to BYU. Yep. But he comes in, and he's a slot receiver. And you looked at him, and you're like, this guy's a football player? And he came in and had a nice career uh, for BYU. Was and, a great punt returner. And now he's a and professor at the University of Kansas. So there you go. So he's smart, too. Yeah. Such a good guy. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. That does it for us today. Thanks again to Marty Burlesworth for coming on the show with us. You can join the Cougar Tailgate wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or on BYUradio.org. Cougar Tailgate is a production of BYU Radio.